everyone, welcome back to the How About This Star Wars series that we're doing for the holidays. And just in time for Christmas, we have the sequel trilogy. So some of you are going to say that's exactly what you wanted from your list you sent to Santa. And some of you are going to treat it like it's a lump of coal. But I'll tell you, the best present we can give you here at How About This this holiday season is our guest host on this week's episode. We have the amazing and talented Chris Death Star D'Amato on this episode. Chris is super knowledgeable, knowledgeable about Star Wars and he was awesome on the WWE episode and we are so excited to have him back. So before we get into it, I've got a bad feeling about this. Hey, what's up? How about this listeners? And welcome back to the third episode in our Star Wars quadrilogy yep, of episodes. It. We are going to be, we've been talking about a lot of Star Wars lately and we hope you've enjoyed it or hated it because that's what the internet has told me. You either like Star Wars or hate Star Wars, but I, for some reason, well I, I, well, I can't believe we're still doing this. I, I know it's still a bad idea. It's uh, like we we're so aware of the heat that is brought down on us every time we release an episode that even mentions the word Star Wars. And I can't believe I can't believe we've released the first two episodes, gotten all that heat and then been like, oh, well, we're, we're going to keep going and we're going to do the sequels, which are the, the heatiest heat. Oh, this is heat. this is this is like spicy hot. Chili. This is spicy hot chili with this like is a, the ghost pepper. Yeah, it's the ghost pepper chili Force, sauce. This is forced ghost pepper chili sauce. <laughs> let's put a trademark on that. Done. Let's, uh, let's get that registered. Force ghost some, peppers. I, I like ghost it. Ghost peppers. All right. Well, get blue out your peppers. Blue peppers to go with your blue milk. I like it. Get out your blue milk, folks, because this is a great episode. As you know, the second episode of this, where we did the original trilogy, we had an amazing guest in a Mr. Chris DePel. We have another guest with us today. So before we get on and get into the nitty gritty, get it, before we step foot inside the Canto Blight Casino, we got to introduce our, our lovely co host of this show and our special guest. So his name is Jordan. Actually, it's um, Jordan um, Jordan Skywalker. Wow, Mr. Jordan thought. Jordan Skywalker Hugh on the episode today. <laughs> never thought I'd be part of the family. I want to introduce the Supreme Leader, <laughs> Michael Staub. <laughs> ah. Wonderful, wonderful. That, uh, that actor Donald Gleason really just got paid to have an aneurysm in yes, each film. I yes, think. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and well, we are now introducing our very special guest host on this episode that's no moon it's a space station mr chris death star damato is hey. back what's up chris how are you hey guys thank you so much for having me yes. or should i well actually i don't know if i should be thanking you let me ask you a question i want to start things off with a question oh my do you God. guys like me hot. do, we do you like guys you? like me of course you're in the two timers club of course we like you yeah dude all right so this i'm in the second two -timers time. so if you like me why on earth would you subject me to speaking my opinions on Star Wars in a public forum. <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> because because you're very eloquent, you you have very good opinions, and we we thought it'd be good good for the viewers <laughs> to listen to. But also, you're one of legitimately, Chris. You're one of the biggest Star Wars fans we know. Uh, listeners don't know this, but um, Chris ran probably like the most successful of our of all of our Dungeons and Dragons games in college was Chris's ongoing Star Wars campaign, which took many forms and. Uh, really captivated us for years in college. So uh, that really let me know early on. I was like, wow, the, the big Star Wars guy in my life is Chris Death Star D'Amato. I mean, yeah. you got that nickname then, for a reason. 
It, that I, I want to make that clear. That's not just a nickname for the How About This podcast. That was my actual nickname in college. I was known as Death Star. And you're right, Jordan. Uh, my I became known as the Star Wars D&D guy. Yeah. Particularly because my style when it comes to action sequences in particular in, in D&D lends itself very well to the Star Wars format. Mm-hmm. You'd get to the end of a, a plot arc and you have your ground battle, your air battle, and your lightsaber, your, your Jedi Sith thing going on. And I prided myself on creating the highest possible tension. You cut between those different battles. You make them happen simultaneously. It's a hard thing to do as a DM. And I was that I take pride in the fact that that was my niche. Yeah, Chris is particularly good at, uh, or I should say, I'm talking about you like you're not here. You're particularly good at um, uh, really describing big story moments. Um, like you're good at as at many things as a game master, but big story moments like the kind that you would only see in a space epic, space opera like Star Wars. You're very, very good at keeping all the players engaged, even when it is not uh, their initiative. Let's say so. As a player in those games, I was just as invested in the. Uh, air battle as I was in the ground battle or the lightsaber duel, depending on which one I was in. And uh, it was, it was great. It was a very cinematic uh, gaming experience. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah Chris, you are a master star Wars storyteller. Mike played a dinosaur. <laughs> that's right. I played covered, a space Mike lizard covered in lightsabers. Yeah, that's right. You played a lights, you played a lightsaber armor wearing rolling <laughs> lizard. Yes. You, you, you rolled yourself up into a ball of, yes of lightsaber fury and pummeled your opponents. It was lovely. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. And, and uh, he he's essentially like a Dondongo from the Zelda games. For those of you who don't know about the Star Wars space lizard guys, but are Zelda fans, uh, that's kind of the closest comparison. Just cover one of those things in lightsabers and uh, have them bash people. I always oh. thought a little bit of a armored armadillo from Mega yes. Man X. A, a little bit, bit of, a little bit of a space armadillo thing going on there, and it was uh, it was a fun character to play. He was very large, right? He yes, was a large he was a big character, boy. Right? He oh, was, yeah. was massive. Yeah, he yeah. was gigantic. It, it was fucking. It was fucking preposterous. I never yes. should have allowed it, but it no. was great. <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a moment as a DM where you're like, this is a mistake. So to give so to give the listener a little context, the one particular game I ran in college was set in the Old Republic. And it was, I had two parties. I had a Jedi party and a, and a, I had a light, well, not Jedi. I had a light side party and a dark side party because not everyone was force users, but they were playing simultaneously and occasionally would have crossovers and the, the arc culminated in them all having to come together and fight a common enemy, even though they had been competing alongside each other in separate games for a long time. But both parties, to Jordan's point, had a game breaker character, one that was just, you know, much more powerful than the GM should have allowed. In Mike, in the light side party, that was Mike's Dodongo lightsaber armor dinosaur thing. And in the other one, we had a Mavs four-armed Sith creature, which could do like 8,000 attacks and <laughs> with lightsabers. It was forever. It really was, yeah. What a crazy, crazy fun time. And uh, it was a crazy game. So the game was really difficult because there were some game breakers in it like us. But uh, Chris, you know, it's great to have you here. Obviously, this is this is the second time we've had Chris on. If those those of you who are fans of wrestling, definitely go check out our WWE SummerSlam episode uh, where Chris was on and really just impressed us all with his amazing knowledge and care and love for professional wrestling well, well, thank you. WWE did not take my advice, but that's another <laughs> another issue for another no, podcast. Well, no. sucks sucks for them, really. <laughs> yeah, AEW is like going to eat their lunch soon, I think. But 
Chris, you're here. You're a Star Wars fan. We got to ask you the question that we ask all the guests for this run. What's your experience with Star Wars? How'd you get started? Do you have a favorite movie? Yes. In some ways, I'm pretty boring with my Star Wars opinions when it comes to the original trilogy. I think Empire Strikes Back is the best film. I stand by that. It's just the best. I don't think there's any denying that. I understand the people. I agree. Yeah, I I understand the people who are attached, especially in the... Your last episode, you t- had Chris Pell, people in the generation who birthed Star Wars and were there for its original run. I understand why they gravitate to the original, but Empire is like everything a great Star Wars movie should be. My first exposure to Star Wars, uh, I had an older brother who was a child of the late 70s, early 80s. He's, he's yeah. about uh, almost 10 years older than me, so he was, mm-hmm. he was significantly older. And he was so into Star Wars. He came up, you know, he was like prime age to play with the Ewok village and he had everything, (laughs) you know. And so I came up knowing about it from my brother. But then I eventually remember before the special editions came out, not the special editions. I think it was like 94, 95. There was that vhs trilogy release i can still yep. see the box in my head well, yeah it's like we just one talked about yoda. this yep but yeah one had yoda one had vader one had a stormtrooper yep. i can see it sitting on my shelf the first 10 minutes of each tape was him interviewed by leonard malton yes. and george lucas and talking about the upcoming special editions but you know, and and, the, and he had started writing the prequels at that point so he was talking a little bit about that but that was i got those i think it was a christmas gift and I watched them all, I think, in a day, and I was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I was, you know, I was five or seven, what was I in 19? Maybe I was like seven or eight, actually, but I was, that's when I had to, and my, my drove my parents nuts because my brother was, at that point, in the, in the mid to late 90s, uh, older teenager, and Lord knows what he did with all his old toys. But my parents were so mad that they had to then buy all of the exact same shit they bought my brother <laughs> in the 80s because yep. I wanted everything. Oh, that's the best. Uh, you know, I think. And they also came out with that new set of toys like right before the prequels came out, like a year or two. I forget what they call it. It was like the power of the force a line of figures. And I remember getting a whole mm. bunch of those that Christmas. I think it was the same Christmas mm-hmm. that I received the uh, Ocarina of Time. Uh, so mm. I think 98 was a good year. That was uh, a good year. That was a good year. But Chris, no, that's good, man. Uh, thanks for thanks. Thank you for that. That yeah. uh, little crash course in your experience here. And I think we we similarly of the same age have that. We all had that VHS thing. We could all see it yeah. in our sleep. Yeah, we, we we literally described it in our, our previous episodes. That's so funny that we all had that same box set. But I guess that must have sold like, I don't know, 20 million copies or oh, more or something knows? like that. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah. And, 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 and that was my sick day thing, by the way. If I was ever home sure. from school, oh, that yeah. box set, you know, if I was like sick from school, laying in bed, laying on the couch under a blanket, mom taking care of me, that VHS set, but then, you know, usually playing along on the rug, uh, looking up there in certain, you know, it was like that was just on all day. That was it. So, Chris, yeah. uh, Mike and I are just going to ask you a series of questions, uh, Star Wars related. You know, what's funny is that you're you're in the third episode of this quadrilogy, this four part series. But in many ways, this is also sort of a wrap up episode because it, it wraps up the nine proper films in this uh, episode. Um, and I did want to give you the opportunity to speak a little bit about uh, the material from the other films, uh, kind of get that out of the way, because most of this episode, of course, is going to focus on the sequels. 
So yeah. um, way back in the yonder of <laughs> two or three weeks ago, uh, Mike and I were talking about the prequel films. And I just want to know what what generally are your thoughts on the on the prequels? Oh, we wanted them to be so good, didn't we? I remember yeah. when those toys came out. The toys came out before the movie. Even some of the like kids books and kids. That's true. Books I forgot some, that. Yeah. yeah they okay. usually some, come some out a few the, months early. Some of the shit was coming out early. And I was like, oh, my God, young Anakin. Look at these fucking droids. And who's this scary red dude? Uh, oh, man, this is crazy. Darth Maul. He's going to be like the new guy. And <laughs> and, <laughs> and something I wouldn't admit it to myself for many years, actually, because but something was off even from the toys. I remember because the, the toys had those little chips that you could put into the little communicator thing and the action figures would have things that they would say. They were like little talking action figures. They all, all those episode one figures came with that little chip. And I was even at the time, a part of me was like, ah, oh, the things these characters are saying are not particularly funny, interesting, good. Uh, so ah, but maybe the movie will be good. And I saw episode one in theaters, maybe double digits amount of times, just because it was my first wow. chance to really see. Yeah. It, was, yeah, it was my first time to see a new Star Wars. I did watch special editions, but it was my first time to see a new Star Wars film in theaters. And I, in my like 11, I think I was 11 or 12 in 1999, my mind wanted to like it so much. Mm, yeah. uh, but man, it just, they're, they're a mess. They're an absolute catastrophe and no folks, no folks. Episode three is not like somehow better. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all how, how, how dare any of you. Oh, I like uh, it a the, little the, better than one and two. You may, you can, you can like it better. And there is it, but, but the reason people like episode three more, and I'll tell you, this is not because it's fucking darker. It's, it's, it's because, there was a character who was fucking alive in it and felt things. And that character was Palpatine. And that's the only time he ever gets to, you know, it's like a character actually came to life on the screen. Absurd life, unbelievable life. But, but it was still a character who, Oh my God, someone in one of these movies is having a fucking emotion. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so that's why people like episode three, because at least you have that. I don't God disagree. almighty. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. And those movies are abysmal. And, and it's not just it, it's just a failure on every level. Two people showed up to work for those movies. John Williams and Ewan McGregor. Oh, OK. Those yeah. The, those, yeah. Those are the two people who showed up to work on those movies. Uh, everyone else, uh, you know, <laughs> run, run, run away from it. Pretend it never happened. So how do you feel now that the the prequels are this a two parter? How do you feel now yeah. that the prequels are kind of like there are people now who like are like, no, the prequels are actually great and you're wrong. Oh. And the people who are like big fans of Hayden Christensen now, like yeah. I feel like they're fogging, mm -hmm. they're fogging, they're fogging their view with like Anakin's performance in the Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah. And they're, they're like imprinting that or they're projecting that onto Hayden Christensen, who was pretty awful for two straight movies. Um, right. So how do you feel about that? Like kind of like the the whole like the reacceptance of the prequels as like, quote unquote, good yeah. and like Hayden Christensen being celebrated. And Chris, I'll tack on to that by saying, do you do you think they're really just affected by the fact that Clone World Clone Wars and, and Rebels were actually pretty good? Mm. So, all right. Yeah, this is a this is a lot. So I'm going to answer it piece by piece. Forgive me if I go on too long here. Cut me off or interject if you want. Sure, this is not a this is not a monologue, <laughs> okay. but. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Hayden. And the reason I'm going to start with Hayden is because I'm an actor and I'm, I'm 
Stop, uh, Eos, stop. Chris, you do such a good Hayden. Please give us some Hayden. You turned her against me. <laughs> you will not take it from me. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right go on you're an actor obviously yes I'll, that's I'll, amazing I'll, I'll, proof of your I'll crap do it. I'll, thank you i'll do it again uh, before it's over because it's <laughs> it's just so fucking funny and stupid losing um, the outro so here's the thing his performance is terrible right and and we know this this is not a secret <laughs> and you know but here's the thing i i have to because i'm an actor i have to if i were a non-actor, I might be more willing to just quickly say, ah, oh, the guy was awful. But, you know, everything about the way those movies were made was not conducive to performing. This was also the birth, really, this era, the early 2000s. I'm going to illustrate this point by talking about a different film trilogy, The, the Lord of the Rings, because I, I recently... I think last year during the, the height of the pandemic quarantining, where we were all home watching TV all day and doing that shit, I watched both the prequels because I went through all of the Star Wars movies and I watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I remember watching Two Towers and Attack of the Clones in the same week. Oh, those boy. movies were those movies were made in the same year. OK, mm-hmm. or came out in the same year, rather. And one Two Towers looks great. It, it would still hold up on a HD big screen today. Attack of the Clones looks terrible. The effects yeah. don't hold up. And that illustrates my point. This guy had no script to speak of to work with. He had a director who was checked out, sitting on his ass, drinking coffee, uh, you know, not, not getting up, working off of a shot, reverse shot format. The way he directed those movies is baffling like soap opera directors do better than this i I don't understand what he was doing and he had nothing to look at he had nothing to interact with every actor out there who's listening to this or anyone's involved in a creative endeavor knows that like there's something that happens when you get on a set or when you put your costume on for the first time it's just like this guy had nothing. He had Jedi characters who were who were uh, uh, not a fucking allowed to emote or have a scene. His character was stupid. His character was written to be petulant. <laughs> he was evil from minute one. We never had a good Anakin. We talked about good Anakin in the elevator scene the very first time we see Anakin in episode two. And then he's just an evil little shit for the rest of the trilogy. So he had nothing to work with. So to Hayden's credit, I'm I'm going to watch his performance in the Obi-Wan show on Disney Plus with an open mind yeah. that maybe with a good director and a good team and actual fucking props and a story worth talking about, maybe he'll rise to the occasion and, and, and prove us all wrong. And I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting yeah. for him. I love a redemption story and I love when actors are able to redeem themselves. So I'm, I'm going to watch it with an open mind. That said, it is objectively terrible. Now, <laughs> to the... Uh, <laughs> to, to 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 the to the about this this movement happening to yeah, like revive a prequel, the, the prequel renaissance i guess they call it that to me is pure star wars fan bullshit and, <laughs> and what i mean by that is that is an attempt by star wars fans who are and we can talk about whether this is legitimate or not but who are dissatisfied with the sequels 
looking to make a point. Well, <laughs> I mean, they're not as bad as those Disney movies. Actually, they're fucking terrible and nothing you can say about them. Nothing, nothing, nothing you can say about them will make it better. Well, but but the Clone Wars contextualized it. The cartoons contextualized it. First and foremost, I shouldn't have to watch six seasons of a fucking kids cartoon to enjoy a movie. That's number one. I agree. Number two, number two. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make the movie better. You can say that the Clone Wars somehow make more sense. But as far as sitting down and watching episode two as its own thing, look, you can put you can I can smear a bunch of my feces on the wall and then like build a great mural around it. That doesn't mean the feces is any better art. <laughs> Chris, put that down. Put that down, Chris. Chris, I'm, Chris, I'm doing it. Pot. Nope, put, put that I'm down. I'm chucking it. No. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, it's everywhere. There it is. Yeah, it's it all really... over the... Yep, well, well, there it is. Uh, I will say That's this... better than episode two. <laughs> um, no arguments. I will say this, Chris. <laughs> I agree with you. I love the Clone Wars and Rebels. I think they're awesome. I think they're amazing cartoons. I think they're great TV. And I said this on an earlier episode when we were talking about this, like that's what the, the prequels should have been. It should have been the Clone Wars as three films, but that's not what they are. And they don't contextualize it any better. When, when I watch the Clone Wars, I see Anakin and I see, you know, Ahsoka and I see all these other characters that are awesome and well-written and well-acted. And I'm just like, what, that I, I, I'm still not buying this guy in the movies. Like I, I like the cartoon version of Anakin way better and it's just it's yeah. it's kind of upsetting uh, that that uh, the prequels go that way. We got your take on that. I think it's time to start talking about sequels. Jordan and I have given our uh, we've talked a lot about the sequels because it's almost impossible to avoid when you're talking about Star Wars at all. It's impossible to yeah. avoid a third of the of the, <clears throat> the saga, as they're calling it now. And Jordan and I are obviously big fans of Rogue One and, and Solo. Yep. Um, Rogue One is Rogue One might be the best Star Wars thing in my opinion, made since the original trilogy. It's just perfect. It's yeah, a perfect it's movie. No arguments Quite here. Good. Mike Mike and I love Rogue One. Yeah, we're big, yeah. we're big fans of Rogue One. Um, I'm a big fan of The Mandalorian. I think The Mandalorian is awesome. I'm very excited to see what else they do with the uh, the television shows, whether it's Obi-Wan or the Book of Boba Fett and all that stuff. I'm very excited to see that. I think Book of and Boba I, Fett. I'm a solo will, guy. I love solo. Yeah, me too. I'm a huge solo guy. I do guy. too. We, we are all three solo people. I had a great time in solo. I remember being told I wasn't supposed to like it, but I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought solo was such a good time. That, that was the party uh, line. But hey, here we are at the main discussion. Now the three of us are going to get to discuss the Star Wars sequels. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. So, so Jordan and I have talked a lot about the sequels. So give us your take on the sequels and uh, what you either like about it or don't like about it, where you sit. Right. So here's... I'm going to start with my first experience with the prequels, which was that Force Awakens trailer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and, the sequels. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm going to talk about what led into the, the sequel. I went to the Museum of the Moving Image, and I don't know if they still have it or if they rotate out things, but there was a room with all of this Star Wars shit in it. And I remember this was some this was before any news had come out about episodes seven through nine. And I remember being so sad because I miss it. Oh, it's like what, looking at all these old figures and remembering my days in the 90s, playing with the toys and reading the books and imagining Star Wars the way much the way Chris Pell talked about it is how you kind of imagine and create this universe in your mind around the movies that you got and around mm -hmm. the stories we were being told. And I missed Star Wars without all the baggage of the prequels is George Lucas 
contentious of the fans? What happened there? Uh, to who likes it? Who hates it? Which ones are good? Which ones aren't? Star Wars fan, it, the fandom didn't used to be like that. It used to like be like, oh, this is all the coolest thing ever. And I missed a time without that baggage. And the CGI looks terrible. And I remember when I watched that Force Awakens trailer, I, 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 I it came out, I was walking down a street on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I said, stop. I was with my wife. Got to watch this. Tucked into like a dark corner, turned my phone sideways. I cried on the street when I saw it. I said, holy shit, we have a Millennium Falcon. We have practical sets. We have characters that have facial expressions that don't look like they're <laughs> watching fucking paint dry. You know, it's like, I mean, God almighty. It was like, oh my God, we're going to get Star Wars back. We're going to get our Star Wars back. Now, Fast forward, the, the trilogy is in the can. It's happened. Was it a home run? I don't know, but I certainly like them. I like those movies. And, you know, for all their imperfections, whatever, and we can talk about what you'd liked, what worked for you, what didn't, what worked for me, what didn't. Overall, here is what worked for me. We have scripts that have a beginning, middle, and end. That's one. Chris, that is, that's we, a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but look where we're coming from. Look where we're coming from here with the prequels. <laughs> look where we're, those those movies don't have a beginning, middle, and end. The entire I first. I don't disagree. The entire first movie of the prequel trilogy could be cut. That's where we're coming from. You're right. Anyway, yep. yep. Uh, the plot of the first two prequel movies are Palpatine manipulates political forces to gain power. Period. Yes. That's their right. fucking movie. Anyway, sorry, I, I could go on about that all day. We have characters that experience emotions and have moments that are memorable amidst set pieces that look good. We're on the right track here. Force Awakens, I remember seeing it. I'm like, that was awesome. I, I Yes, there was the complaint was out there of like, oh, it was a little too similar structurally. But he, we, we, you had to do that, in my opinion. You had to go back to capture, like, I thought Force Awakens was the perfect blend of new and nostalgia because you had a structure the fans would recognize, but it was new enough and the characters were intriguing enough and the seeds planted were rich enough to draw in new people. Now, in retrospect, would this whole thing have been better had Disney just handed it to someone? Uh, and, you know, like J.J. Abrams, let's say, for example, who some people like, some people don't. He's hit or miss. But of a, a, a sole creator, of like one person to oversee the story of the trilogy, sure. Yeah. Maybe you can say that things would have been tighter, things would have been better. There Now, but, you know, what can you do? The second movie... I don't dislike there are there are more I have more nitpicky issues about The Last Jedi than I do about Force Awakens. I think Force Awakens is almost perfect as a first movie in a trilogy. Uh, tonally, it's great. You got emotional notes, you got humor, you have adventure, you have discovery, you have all the I think Kylo Ren is one of the best characters in I think he's probably the best yep. character in the, in the sequel trilogy. I, I think so. Yes. yes. Uh, I agree. Seeing us seeing us seeing us seeing us. We've seen so many times the light side character flirting with the temptations of the dark, but I love the idea of this petulant, childish, tantrum-throwing Sith character who wrestles with a pull back to the light. That's interesting, and that's new. We hadn't yes. seen that before. It's, it's good. It's compelling. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, very compelling. And, he, you know, of course, he does the big evil deed at the end of episode nine that makes you hate him. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll never forgive this guy after killing Han Solo. Fuck you. But anyway, 
Last Jedi could have been better with a couple little tweaks as far as all of the stuff in the hyperspace chase. Uh, you know, some of that worked for me, some of that didn't. I see no reason if you're going to have an admiral of a ship making a heroic sacrifice to save everybody, why that couldn't or shouldn't have been Admiral Akbar, who is established fan favorite. Uh, well, especially mean, considering, especially considering he got a throwaway death in that movie, which was unforgivable in my opinion. <laughs> but it, it, Ryan Johnson, I appreciate the fact with all the, but again, this is where Star Wars fans shoot themselves in the foot because they were complaining so much about Force Awakens being too similar structurally to the originals that Ryan Johnson went completely the other way and subverted every expectation you have. And while that makes for a compelling individual Star Wars film, it's a shitty thing to do in the middle of a trilogy yeah. because you took he took every story hook that J.J. Abrams set out, you can't put the horse back in the barn. If J if Ryan Johnson picks up a script and, and sees Force Awakens and says, well, I don't care much for all of these seeds, then don't direct the movie because those are there. And all he did was throw, you know, like, you want to complain because people dump on Rise of Skywalker, particularly for Palpatine coming back. What the hell was he supposed to do? This series needed an antagonist. Oh, yeah. And Ryan Johnson, and Ryan Johnson just kills Snoke unceremoniously, who was sure. set up to be the, you know, it's like, so what the fuck was, I don't know. I think JJ was in a, in between a rock and a hard place at that point, and oh, they yeah. made the best movie they could. But well, it, Chris, you said it right in the beginning. It needed to all be one person, and uh, and the middle person can't. If it was going to be multiple people, the middle person can't have been Ryan Johnson, who I think made. I'll be honest. I think Ryan Johnson made a wonderful movie. If it was going to be five movies, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Um, but you, you can't. Uh, you said it, Chris. I'm just going to take your words. You can't burn out all of the story hooks and then expect someone to come in and save this. Um, yes. So I hate. Palpatine's return the dead speak um you know it, it's it's totally ham-fisted and it doesn't feel earned and it, there's no foreshadowing for it but yeah it's it's basically I don't know what the opposite of deus ex machina would be but that is what it is it's like right. we must pull a villain from nowhere because we have yes. no other choice yeah it's because the, you, the you, know, you dismantled the device before you got there and you know it was one of those things where it's just like and I said this on a, on the last episode for sure it's really difficult the movie's in a really bad spot when you have to spend the first half of the movie erasing the movie that had come prior. And I think, you know, me, I don't know if JJ Abrams was the guy to see it over. Obviously I'm a big fan of what John Favreau and Dave Filoni have been doing. Uh, they might've been the right people had, uh, had we, we gotten them to do it. Obviously John Favreau has shown not just with Mandalorian, like John Favreau is a really good guy to go to for yes. starting something off. I mean, the MCU he doesn't rules. exist. The His MCU career rules. He, yeah. He's a man. The man even his fucking holiday movie, Elf, is the last it, classic holiday film. It, it really is. Not only, <laughs> not only is he like a brilliant director. Obviously, he there's no MCU without John Favreau. Like plain and simple, there's no MCU without John no, Favreau he, and he, Kevin Feige. He is Iron Man. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, Happy Hogan, but uh, he's great as Happy Hogan. I, I love him in, as that character. And um, the the Mandalorian is probably the best Star Wars thing, you know, outside of Rogue One. It's the first time Star Wars has felt like Star Wars again to me outside of Rogue One in a long, yeah. long time. It's got the dirt. It's got the grime. It's got the mystery. And I think the issue with the, the sequels is, Chris, I actually probably am a bit more in, in your camp in terms of where I feel in the sequels. I don't hate them um, completely, 
Rise of Skywalker sours everything for me, though. It does sour quite a bit, and it makes me go back and go, if only they would have just continued, maybe they could have done something else uh, after Last Jedi. And I think that because the third movie doesn't tie it up in any way, shape, or form, the the third movie seeks to be fan service for people who were mad about the the second movie in the trilogy, you run into a lot of problems. And yeah, I don't think it's a good idea to go into Star Wars without a roadmap or a star map or whatever you want to call it, a star chart. Yeah. You know? Well, on, on, on one hand, you can't necessarily say that you can't go into Star Wars with a roadmap because I don't believe George Lucas had a roadmap and those movies worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you don't necessarily need it, but you do have this issue with Disney and this is a Disney wide issue, not just a star Wars issue where you have film by committee. Yeah. And yeah. that is that the, the Mar- we've learned. And I think they've learned that the Marvel methodology is not going to be appropriate for star Wars. And I think they've gotten that idea. I think they've well, gotten that message loud and clear. Uh, the Mandalorian is kind of being produced in a Disney esque fashion. I think, I think that's working for them. Yes, but it has a creator with a vision that is overseeing yes. and taking charge and, and making sure you, well, that's, you, you but that's a Feige thing. I mean that's that's the model. Yeah. Well yeah. Here's the that, thing. Here, here's the thing with the original the original trilogy had that too, because you had he brought in writers and directors and you know people for to help out with the the second two. Like the first one was his baby, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But George Lucas operated in the showrunner. You know, if we're going to use the nomenclature for today, when you were talking about all the TV we watch, George Lucas still oversaw those movies and was producing them and being involved in the creative process. And he, the, the original trilogy wasn't planned out, but it had a singular vision filtering through it. And then he, they brought in competent people. So, yeah, yeah I, it, I don't but, really know what to say about George Lucas. Um, obviously, I respect him. I think he's, you know, one of the greats of of film for Star Wars. But I. I think it's possible, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone, but of course it's going to offend some people when I say, I think George Lucas might not be able to do a film on his own. Yeah. I think I think even the original Star Wars, which is the project that was the most his, uh, was not a project that like really came together because of him. And then you're right, he had a ton more help on the second and third film in the original trilogy, and I think that's why they came out so well, and I think his prequel stuff is wild. I think George Lucas, I think this is part of the reason why he's not on the sequels. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they're they're bringing him in and he hangs out here and there to like give some I respect guidance. the man. I respect the yeah. man, of course. Yeah. You know. But clearly, you know, Favreau, the Favreau-Filoni combo is definitely like the guys you want to be there to be like your story supervisors, the guys who are like, right. this is how this should work. And it's a it's a shame that they weren't involved in the sequel trilogy and that, you know, they're kind of using them now to kind of save it. And I don't think we're going to get a Star Wars movie for a while. I think we're going to actually probably get more TV shows because the Patty You're Jenkins right. Rogue mm-hmm. Squadron movie has been pushed. Yes. And we haven't heard anything really else about more Star Wars movies, but we're hearing more about Obi-Wan. We're hearing more about the, what is it, the Acolyte. We're hearing more about, obviously, Boba Fett premieres yes. in a week. Um, we're, we're hearing more about um, Ahsoka. We're hearing more about all these TV series that happen um, I guess in the time between episode six and seven to where I think eventually there's going to be some sort of episode six through nine retcon. I mean, seven through nine retcon. 
as yeah, it'll be as like a, a soft slow. Retcon, it's like a yeah. slow as like they slowly repiece things together because ultimately all these shows are adding to the the trilogy that a lot of people don't like. And I'm not well, sure if they, I like I, that, but I, I I hope they don't do that. That's just my thought. I, I think I you can Chris, work around think, if. I don't think they're going to paste over them. I think Mike's no. right. I think they're going to kind of extend that time period that happens between Jedi and the Force Awakens almost to the point where you never get up to the Force Awakens. Do you know what I mean? Or sure. what you do is you do stuff after um, Rise of Skywalker that Correct. somehow cleans up stuff that happened during the thing. Uh, I, you know, the whole Ray Palpatine thing just makes me nauseous. I don't like that at all. That was really, really bad. In my opinion, I thought that was like um, it was a major misstep. I, I, you could have tied her to anyone it's else. Tough. It's just it's it's tough. Just, it's the she's the granddaughter of Palpatine, who was 100 years old in, you know, episode six. And and, you know, he has has a son randomly that, you know, it's it's I don't know. It's weird. Was, uh, like we said just a moment ago, uh, you know, Johnson had burned out all the story hooks. Yeah. He had to do whatever he could. You know? He had to do whatever I, he could. I, I didn't I would have I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily mind. I didn't necessarily mind it. I, I thought that um, I don't know it. it Palpatine. For all whatever anybody wants to think of him in the third movie, Rise of Skywalker, he's still a character who remains shrouded in mystery. There's so much we still don't know about him. So I don't think it's the fact that he had a daughter and we know very, you know, that he had kids uh, yeah, at all. It's something it's, like it's not great. It's not unforgivable. I don't know. I have three things that I I, I don't want to talk much more about what I don't like about the sequels. I feel like that's been every episode of this miniseries. So I'm going to say this and I'll I'll leave it to the two of you. Um, the three things that I think are unforgivable about the sequel trilogy, which I like, I, by the way, I like the sequel trilogy the least of the three of us. I don't really like them. I'm not saying the prequels are better. That's just not true. Uh, but I, I don't like the sequels. The three things that are unforgivable to me is this. And I, I know that this first one can't serve the plot and it's just wish fulfillment. But the fact that we still had the living legends of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, and we couldn't get them in a scene together, even if one is a ghost makes my fucking brain explode. Um, Jordan, I I, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a list of unforgivable things about the sequel trilogy, but that is the one thing I was actually going to mention. If you didn't mention it was that the one thing I can, even as a fan of the sequels and probably the guy who likes them the most here, the fact that they had those three alive and willing to do the movies and didn't get them on screen together all at the same time is shitty that's it's, 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 it's insane to me i and i don't mind that han dies at the end of the first one i think that's appropriate uh, i don't disagree with the structure but it was just like come on come on folks do one thing for us uh the second thing is um there's a lot of character mismanagement and i don't want to get into the minuscule detail details of how characters were mishandled but um finn in particular yep. i think this guy and i'm just going to come out and say it He's he's black. It's hard to be a black character in Star Wars when you have a, a lot of like, I don't know what you want to say, vitriolic elements that are fans of this franchise. And Lando yeah. was never quite enough. So they were kind of billing Finn as maybe like this guy is going to be the guy. And then you watch that first movie and maybe I don't know, I study narrative for a living. It seems like this guy, he's got this big open heart. He's so heroic. He's probably the romantic lead. And then his whole storyline gets like pulled out from under him. I'm not laying that at anyone's feet. It just feels like by the time I get to the third movie, I have no real reason to care about him. He's not going to end up with Ray. He's not going to be a Jedi. Phasma dies unceremoniously in the second movie. Uh, I-, I was right along with this guy. And it it is more sensitive because he's black, because he's a person of color. It, it just seemed like we 
to- totally didn't invest in him in the way that was intended. And that's really bad. Yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair to say. And the, and the issue is, is that like, if you watched any or looked at any of the promotional material from the force awakens, it's like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to get a lightsaber and he's going to be one of the Jedi or, or something. If not, and they a Jedi, totally just, yeah. just more, more important. He ends up just being like, Oh, this is Ray's friend. He's yeah. around. Yeah. He wasn't even around by the time you get to the third movie. Uh, you know, it's just, it's wild. And then, um, I guess the third thing, and I, I, maybe this is is just reaching a bit, is that there has been this growing, I, I don't know if it's a resentment, where people are like, we don't want Star Wars to be about the Skywalkers anymore. And I actually get that. And I said this on both of our previous episodes where the lore of George Lucas's worlds is so beautiful. And I think that is what pulls us back. But ultimately what pulls us is characters and and we can appreciate both those things separately but these nine movies in the star wars universe really is and ought to be about the skywalker family this i'm paraphrasing george lucas he intended the prequels to be about the father and the original movies to be about the son and would have continued with the sequels being about the the grandchildren because this is about legacy and kind of trying to shift the narrative away from that and saying, well, Rey is no one or anyone can be a Jedi or she's a Palpatine or whatever, just kind of like ends the opera in a real weird place where I don't quite know what to feel. It doesn't make the movies bad, but it makes them more deeply flawed. Are they worse than the prequels? No, but I just I don't like these movies. I think they're incredibly well made. I think there are beautiful characters in there. I think Kylo Ren is endlessly interesting. But he's one of the few characters that actually gets to be interesting. And I think that's what's so sad is we have all this potential on the table and there it shall remain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because it puts the whole thing into a into kind of a lens of like, where do we go from here? Like, how do we work around this moving forward? And I guess that's why we're here (laughs) on this show today is to kind of talk about what we would do. Chris, before we get into pitches, um, you got any last minute thoughts on the on the on the sequel trilogy here. Yeah. Just anything. This yeah. is your, your miscellaneous. You could say anything you want about the sequels. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, listen, they're going to be debated for the end of time. And I don't, I don't know what to say ex- about it, except that I, I do like them and that they're mm-hmm. not, I don't, I don't think they're unforgivably, you know, the things that are wrong are wrong, but they're, they're not unforgivably unforgivable disasters that have forever tainted the star Wars saga. Like I, like the prequels. And uh, <laughs> this is why we and, didn't uh, have you. This is why we didn't have you on for the prequel episode because right. you would have been like have... none. I have no idea. We wouldn't have gotten through it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I actually, and I'll, I'll talk about this when I get into my pitches, but I actually don't think they could have been, they should have been made. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why mm. when we get to the pitch, because mm. my philosophy on Star Wars going forward is an, the antithesis of everything the prequels were about. Okay. And to some extent, to some extent, the sequels, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But basically, I don't know. I think Ray is great. I yeah. like Ray. I, I think, uh, you know, Rid- Daisy Ridley is great. I think, uh, Kylo Ren is excellent. There's enough to chew on there. BB-8, God, I mean, if talk about something that sells fucking toys and T-shirts yeah. and bullshit. Yeah, and I like I like BB-8. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you had you have cute droid there. Uh, you got cute droids. You got wild space adventure. I think fans ultimately, uh, and I'm guilty of this too because God knows I've spent enough imagination time in the Star Wars universe. I think we all, as a fan base, and this is why Star Wars fan base is so fucked up right now. We've all overthought this goddamn thing. This was World War II in space, 
It's based off the fucking Flash Gordon serials that George Lucas used to watch as a child. Honestly, you throw some archetypes on a spaceship, mishaps, misadventure, comedy, joy, laughter, tears, family. It's all in there. So whether we like how the individual movies shaped out or whether we felt the third one was rushed or we didn't like this twist or that twist, whatever, there were characters, there were things I could latch on to, things that stick with me, moments that I will remember and laughed at and smiled at and moments that made me cry and grab my seat in anticipation. And the best thing Ryan Johnson did, in my opinion, I fucking love that confrontation in the last Jedi between the projection of Luke and Kylo Ren. I thought that was just so cool to watch. uh, Yes, that is awesome. I I will not take that away. That that was a great scene. That anyone who doesn't think that's a cool way for Luke Skywalker to go out can suck it. That's fucking awesome. (laughs) We got two words for you. Um, yeah, that's a very good. Scene. I, I like that scene quite a bit. I actually think the throne room fight is is one of the better uh, combat sequences in uh, in the Star Wars films as well. Oh, I think and, 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 and let's so let me actually. You know what? That's another thing you just mentioned. That I did want to talk about this. The the fights in the prequels are so vapid and choreographed. That, like <laughs> I uh, no, I mean the fucking. Are you kidding me? They're just like they're mimicking each other's moves, and they're you know they look like a they a dance they learned for six months. That, that's another thing the sequels got right. These people were fighting; they were swinging that lightsaber to do damage to their opponents. It looked great. I thought the fights in in the sequels are vastly superior to the fights in the prequels. Yeah, agreed. And 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 in particular the the fight between Kylo and uh, uh, Ray in force awakens as the planet is splitting and they're in that forest and it's, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful yeah. to look at. It's great to watch. It's intense. And, uh, yeah. and so Kylo- that's, that's what I take with me from the sequels are those moments. And Kylo Ren gets blasted with the bowcaster and kind of shrugs it off, which is a uh, kind of ridiculous giving that, uh, that weapon. So he's injured and Ray's doesn't know what she's doing. It's a really beautiful fight. So yeah. uh, Chris it's pitch time. Okay. Since you're the guest, the special guest, you are the Death Star. Give us your pitches. What do you got coming for us? So I want to give you the philosophy of my pitches. And then I have a couple like short, quickie, like half ass ideas that Good. I'd like to see fleshed out by writers and people. And then I have <laughs> like a, a, a baseline idea for a movie trilogy. So let me talk about my philosophy of Star Wars going forward. Sure. Star Wars to me was always about the mystery. It's very important in a galaxy like this. And we know that this is the case. We have proven evidence that the magic of Star Wars is in mystery, not in answers. Because the the closer you look at anything, the more you answer about Star Wars, the stupider it all gets. Yes. When the Clone Wars was a throwaway line given by Leia in a speech, you're wondering what that is. And what you cook up in your imagination is so much cooler than what we got in episode two. Right. The the Imperial Senate will not sit still for this. This is an action adventure movie. We don't need a Senate scene. We don't need to see the Senate. You hear about the Senate. (laughs) The second we see the Senate, it's like, are you kidding me? How does the galaxy work? I don't know, but I certainly don't want to watch a war between a, you know, uh, a, a trade federation and some backwater planet over the taxation of trade routes. So what I mean is like. You know, and, and even I'll, I'll use an example from the sequels because I've been dumping on the prequels so bad. But like the moment when the Admiral played by Laura Dern, I'm forgetting her name real quick. Holdo. Yeah. Uh, Hol- yeah Admiral Holdo blasts that ship at light speed through the Imperial cruiser. 
or, or the first order ship. That's a fucking amazing visual. The the style, the, I mean, the, purely on a visual sound art style, great moment. But anytime you look at something closer in Star Wars and think about it, it gets stupid. The, uh, if I look at that moment, I'm thinking, wow, so there are probably 895 million shards of capital ship hurtling through the galaxy at light speed right now that are just going to end life as we know it for millions of star systems because you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> and when you look too close at the forest, it becomes, you get many chlorians. So you don't want to look too close. Star Wars is about the mystery. So anything I want to see from star Wars going forward is not going to answer questions. We're going to ask questions and we're going to pose new things that are going to let you cook up the rest in your mind and everything is going to avoid questions. So with that said, yeah, with that said, let's play with some things that we haven't played with before. Let's fuck with some genres. Let's play around. I would like to see. Oh, Chris, you got it. You got to say the magic words. How about this? Hey, hey, how about this? And you better like these because Lily and I were talking after your last Star Wars episode about starting a spite podcast called How About That? But Ooh. anyway, <laughs> we welcome spite. <laughs> so you, you really, I guess you really didn't like that episode, huh? Oh, we, we were, well, she was beside herself and I was trying to soothe her, but you know, what, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> Uba, um, <laughs> but let's play with some things that we take for granted. Uh, you know, I was thinking about here. Here's one small idea. Droids. They exist in the galaxy. They have consciousness. They have a they have intelligence. And it's kind of taken for granted. You get droids as comedy characters. You get droids as whatever. But let's take let's 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 retcon the prequels. Let's let's say that midichlorians are not a thing. What happens when a droid one day just starts using the force? Mm. Ooh. You know what I mean? Make a story about that. It can be a show, whatever. Here's another thing I'd love to see. I'd love to see a Lovecraftian-style horror movie or show where some fucking ancient space beast just comes out and starts devouring systems, and you got to deal with it. And it's just like you know, we 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 don't we play too much with man versus uh, star. A lot of Star Wars is about man versus totalitarian state, man versus technology. We, we man versus nature is a little bit neglected in star Wars. You get a cruel creature here and there, but just something that poses like that poses an existential threat to the wars going on amidst the stars is something I would enjoy seeing some kind of large space monster. Uh, how about a TV show where you get a force ghost or, or some kind of Jedi from the old Republic who? was killed doing something or is, is stuck somewhere in a holocron or a datacron. And each episode, it's like you get 22 minute episodes, sitcom length, whatever. And each mm. episode is this force ghost going through time, interacting with new people looking for, and, and you're kind of building a mystery and maybe he's looking to get free or be released or, you know, exploring mysteries of the force through time. And the show can go all the way from older public through like beyond the sequels, even just following this one force ghost through time. A, a character study of of what this thing that's you know still that's dead and amidst the force, but is still looking for purpose. I'd like to see something like that. I'd love to see something about the discovery of the force. I know this isn't sequel era, but uh, this is you can do something about like who first who first discovered it, who first started using it, how did the Jedi come to be, 
we have a couple books that touch on it, but how did the force fucking like start being used? And I don't want answers on that. This is a time of discovery. It's like, why did this happen? How did this happen? I'd love to see a vacation horror comedy. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is four aliens steal their mother's <laughs> ship. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and, and go, go and go to like a large pleasure cruise in out in space. And then all of a sudden the power is cut on the barge and something starts killing everybody. And it's like a comedy of errors where people are going down and it's a murder mystery or something like that. Play with genre, play with things. You have all these cool aliens and, you know, don't be afraid to be funny. Make a star Wars comedy for God's oh, sake. We love, we love funny star Wars. Yeah, we do. Great. Yeah. You have you you know Star Wars is not just badass Sith and Jedi. It's it's you have cute Star Wars. You have funny Star Wars. It's all there. You, you can do it, baby. I don't know if you've watched Visions at all, uh, Chris. Um, the Visions, um, they're 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 a series of vignettes on Disney Plus, and the Visions twelve they're like twelve minutes or ten minutes long each, and I think there's eight or ten of them, and and they all touch on different era eras and different areas of Star Wars. Some are funny. There's one about a a rock band from Tatooine. That's like a Jedi led rock band. There's one, there's one that's like, there's, there's a couple episodes that are like classic, like Ronin samurai stuff. They're all anime. Um, there's one that's essentially Mega Man, but it's, um, it's star Wars. And I think that's like, that's where you start to get a flavor for, Hey, star Wars can tackle other genres. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Yes, exactly. And I'd love to see that uh, get different directors in there. I do agree with a lot of the fans that it's time to move beyond the start, the Skywalker family and, and mm-hmm, explore mm-hmm. other areas. Uh, however, if you want something that is kind of fresh, new, a little bit of a different take, and is also something that I think would be a pretty cool film trilogy if it's done right. Oh, so this and is also, your trilogy. And, okay. So this, this next thing is my trilogy idea. Uh, and it's also, it, it, it's also a great way to incorporate some of the sequel lore without overdoing it. You can set it much later. What are the two things people enjoy about Star Wars? It's the Force, it's Jedi, Sith, all that stuff, the most. And it's bounty hunters, right? Boba Fett is the most, you know, yep. pop was the most popular character sure. for so long. Bounty hunters so first about, scoundrels, they love that, yeah. Exactly, yes, exactly. So how about this? I would love to see a trilogy set way beyond, like way later in the, uh, well, you can't do maybe too much later, but like 10, 15, 20 years after the sequel tri- trilogy. And... You have it's centered around this whole trilogy is going to be centered around an event in Star Wars that some fans of the older public or other things may know as the Great Hunt. Yeah. And the Great Hunt is a mm. summoning of various bounty hunters to accomplish different challenges. And the, the herd gets thinned and you, you, yep. you capture and kill more high profile targets as the hunt goes on and it narrows down. And you get introduced to this completely new bounty hunter character. You find out who this person is, what they're all about. They're definitely a badass. They walk the line. What are they doing in the hunt? These these issues are immaterial to my pitch, but you, you get you, this is the you know you flesh out who this character is. You make it. You have your compelling protagonist, and they're in the great hunt, and they keep being foiled by this other bounty hunter who is masked and is fucking not only fucking with him and his hunt but also like killing certain targets in certain ways and undermining the great hunt itself and but but definitely is like brutal this person the, the, this masked character and meanwhile we touch down we find a reason to touch down we don't just take a camera there but we we touch down in the first film on ray who is 
training a new batch of Jedi, but doing it the new way. You know, she's she's kind of bringing her own energy to it. It's not like the old Jedi Order. It's a little bit more shades of gray. It's a little bit more the Force is a loftier concept, and anyone can do it, and you know that kind of thing, rather than the old Jedi ways. The the books were burned, right? That's yeah. the idea. Yeah. So. She's doing her new Jedi thing, training a bunch of new people, but it's more gray. I always liked the idea of Rey as a gray Jedi, like not quite yeah. like the old Jedi used to be, not the stalwart knights, but more exploring the force and doing what needs to right. be done. Yeah, that was the so, more interesting interpretation, yeah. Yeah, so it comes out at some point in this trilogy that uh, you know that there's some kind of grand confrontation with one of the targets and somebody gets killed that wasn't supposed to be killed. And it comes out that this masked character is Ray and she's in the great hunt and she's killing potential wow. threats to That's her order. Crazy. And yes. then the trilogy. That. And so she's been like teaching the next generation of Jedi, but also like sneaking off into the night as this bounty hunter, this masked bounty hunter to assassinate potential threats to the new Republic and the Jedi order. And she's kind of walking this gray line. And then the movie just becomes this back and forth because the other thing Ray needs because she's so good and they've established her. She gets shit for being a Mary Sue, which I don't think is fair, but I, 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 she gets shit for that, but she needs someone who can challenge her. And I think the idea of giving Ray an opponent who isn't a force user, but is a fucking really awesome bounty hunter. And then the, the rest of it just kind of becomes this, game of cat and mouse between Ray and this bounty hunter. Is he going to expose her? Is he trying to catch her? How's he going to adjust to it? They're killing the same. They're going after the same targets. It's a competition. They fight each other. I think there's ample ground there for a good, good trilogy and you can end it with something interesting, but that's, that's my idea. I would love I to like see a, a, tr a trilogy where you just, you take Ray in a different phase in life. You make her kind of walk the line there and she's yeah. having this, awesome competition back and forth fighting thing with this. I love that. Bounty yeah. I love it too. I, I, I like the idea that, you know, obviously Ray's going to start her kind of Jedi Academy, you know, her lightsaber is yellow uh, at the end of the movies, which like, isn't something that, that, sorry, sorry. why is that? Why is that funny? I hate her stupid fucking yellow lightsaber. Wait, Ray, just go on. Ignore me, please. Okay. Just go on. Um, to me, that was actually a callback to Bastila. Uh, I don't know if that was done on purpose. I don't think general viewers even know that. Uh, I mean, Basilisha yeah. Sean from uh, the Old Republic games has a double-bladed um, yellow lightsaber like Ray does. Um, oh, she's got double blades on that? Double-bladed, light, yeah, yellow lightsaber. Uh, I think, yeah, if you look at Ray's, I think it's a double-edged lightsaber like the stick, like she kind of used that bow staff kind of thing. I wouldn't um, even know. I was yeah. too busy watching her bury two perfectly good kyber crystals. Wow. Nicely done. <laughs> um, so I think that I like the idea of like her Academy, uh, you know, and kind of how they do things a little differently. I, I like you, Chris, I really appreciate how there, there is potential for gray. Uh, yeah. Gray I mean, in, she, in the, in the idea that she's living a double life too, that yeah. she is, you know, this peaceful, stoic new master. And she's like the lovely Disney Ray, the kid, the one that the little girls can look up to. <laughs> but at night, at night, she's just, she, she's just not accepted. She's like a militant. I don't know. I, I hate to evoke this imagery, but like a militant anti-fascist just will kill anybody who poses any threat to the new Republic under the yeah. shadow of night. And her methods are questioned. So even to the point where this bounty hunter is like, whoa, 
this person's going way too far and she's a Jedi. Well, what, I, what do I do here? I think also and too, it, I'm sorry, go for it. And it calls into, it calls into a moral question. Like how far are you able to go with the force? And can you, can you use the force to do evil things for a good reason? And that, that gray area has not really been explored also in like star Wars adequately. yet. Ray's character, had they developed it more in the, the sequel movies, like obviously that's a character that should fall. Uh, to the dark side, I think, you know, I mean, she uses force lightning. That is a dark side power. And I feel like, you know, I know. Well, I know, but, but I know for if we're talking purely about storytelling, I don't disagree that a dark side Ray would have been interesting. Unfortunately, you have the situation where the girls who have always been a tougher demographic for Star Wars finally have a hero to look up to. And Disney will not make her a bad guy. They just nah, won't. they can't because they don't sell I mean? toys. Well, this is our right. films by committee problem, right? Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So Look, cre- while creatively, that's a very in- in- intriguing idea, Dark Side Ray. And maybe that would have been the way JJ might have been able to fix the swerves from Ryan Johnson was to make, I don't know, to do a, do a last minute thing where Ray fucking sides up with Palpatine and Kylo ends up killing her and becoming the hero or something. Well, maybe well, that could have worked. I always had the original idea or a lot of people had talked about this where you would have a movie where Ray fell in the third movie because she was tempted by the force and she used it as more of a raw natural user. She used it based on emotion. She wasn't trained. So she has the propensity to fall. And then Kylo Ren's redemption arc that ultimately brings him back to the light side yeah. is him saving her from falling from the dark side or finishing her off like you had said but chris i think those ideas are great i really like them yeah mike we don't need any of that we got palpatine on a stick that's right we do have palpatine on a stick and i and i I have one more pitch how about this and no disrespect because i think this i think ryan johnson is a tremendously intelligent human being i think he's a great writer all things considered and i think he's a hell of a director i would love to work with someday as an actor that's kind of a thing like ryan johnson's a great director in in many ways but how about he take an improv class where he learns the concept of yes. And where when (laughs) somebody, when somebody, when another creative hands you something in a scene, you build on it, not completely fucking strip it to its core and remove it. But anyway, how do you, how do you guys feel about the Canto bite sequence there? I I thought that my, my pitch is centered on it. Then let's go. Great. Okay. Let's hear so it. You'll, you're about to find out how I feel about Canto Bite. I, I've 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 long I've long said my my opinion. I'll let you do your pitch on the Canto Bite stuff. Is it needed to either be the movie or it needed to be removed? It was Canto Bite. Yeah. Like not it was yeah. as I will comment on in a moment. Canto Bite is the most impressive bit of world building that has happened in Star Wars maybe ever. But Agreed. it occurs in the middle of the most crucial film ever, and it just <laughs> waylays the plot. Yeah. All right, uh, I want to hear your pitches. Let's do it. Uh, Mike, is it all right if I go? Yeah, you go for it, man. I, I kind of, I really don't got anything. So, um, oh damn, you're coming up empty this week. Yeah, no, it's because I wanted, I wanted to hear what Chris had to say. And Chris, my idea with the future of stuff is, is not, it's not similar to Chris's idea for a trilogy, but it's in the same vein. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna sit out this week and let you guys, okay. let you guys duke it out. I'm pitching just one film. How about this? Ooh. This film, the working title is called The Smuggler's Guide. And if if this ends up becoming a trilogy, this would be called The Smuggler's Guide, Master Codebreaker. I like it. So mm. uh, for the unacquainted, The Smuggler's <laughs> oh, Guide, The Smuggler's Guide, Mike already knows, The Smuggler's Guide is a legendary book in the Star Wars universe. It was actually once known as Maz Kanata's Journal. This is a real book. 
Yeah. Um, it was recovered from Strongbox and the Millennium Falcon. And this is also, it's it's two things. It's a real book that you can go to like Barnes Noble and buy, but it's also a book that really exists in the world. So it's really cool that it's both a purchasable artifact and the artifact is also in the world of Star Wars. It traces its origins back to Maz Kanata, but like Dryden Voss had it at one point, Lando, Han, like basically if you're like, the big smuggler in charge than you are possibly in possession of the smuggler's guide. Well, at one point, the smuggler's guide was in possession of a character who is just referred to as master Codebreaker. master Codebreaker is the character played by Justin Thoreau wearing the white jacket with the red flower that uh, Finn and Rose are actually supposed to go see on Canto bite. He's the one that they're actually supposed to find. Instead, unfortunately they find the treacherous DJ played by Benicio del Toro. Uh, but, uh, a Master Codebreaker is the person they were actually supposed to go find, the one that Maz Kanata clearly has a crush on and describes as like this incredible space spy. So this is this is basically his film. So uh, we're now in the era of post Rise of Skywalker. That's the the era that my film is set in. Right. Uh, and you have to imagine that sometime after Supreme Leader Snoke's assumption of leadership within the First Order. So we're going back a bit. Um, Master Codebreaker has assumed control of the Smuggler's Guide, the book. And he has um, started to update the information for Maz Kanata because Master Codebreaker ultimately works for the Resistance, uh, even if he's kind of his own independent free agent, right? And he's actually the one that's in touch with all of these new crime syndicates because at this point, the five syndicates are out of... So you don't really have like Black Sun and, and Crimson Dawn and those guys around anymore, but now you have this a, a far greater number of uh, Pikes and the uh, uh, Santul Pride and the Guavian Death Gang and, and Kanja Club, you know, and all, all that stuff is around now. So, so it's, it's a more, Kanja Club then. Yeah, it's a more volatile time in the underworld of the galaxy. So my film stars Justin Thoreau as Master Codebreaker, who never receives a proper name in the film. In fact, Master Codebreaker will only ever go by whatever name is his new disguise, his new identity. Right. So we will never learn the character's name. He's just Master Codebreaker. And Lily Cole, uh, who I was desperately in love with when she was in the Imaginarium of Dr. <laughs> Parnassus, uh, stars as Lovey. Now, Master Codebreaker and Lovey are both in The Last Jedi. You can see them. They are on screen for exactly 10 seconds. Right. They barely speak, but they are both present there. You can look them up right now. Master Codebreaker and Lovey are characters in that film. Uh, and they are the main characters in this movie, but you get them for, I'm basing this all on 30 seconds of Last Jedi footage, right? So here's my basic plot, and feel free to jump in anytime with cool stuff to help it, but I, I did, I did, I plotted it out a bit, and I, I don't want to get too tedious because this is already our longest episode ever, right? So uh, Master Codebreaker, Justin Thoreau, he's been sent on a mission by Maz Kanata, who's, of course, Lupita Nyong'o, right? And he is serving the Resistance, and she's sent him into the Outer Rim territories because Kanata has been working with the Resistance to stop the spread of the influence of the last remnants of the First Order, but more pertinent to our film, stopping the rise of crime syndicates because enabling the First Order in kind of keeping them around is this growing power of this crime syndicate that is absolutely the last vestige of the Crimson Dawn, who is a group that I've tracked through my previous pitches in this series, and I'm still interested in completing the story of. So in a way, I'm sequelizing myself. So unbeknownst to the viewer at first, Maz Kanata's mission, because Maz Kanata is, like, is now the spy master for the Resistance. That's how I'm using her. She's basically M. Okay. Yes. Uh, so mm -hmm. she has dispatched him because his job is to find, uh, to locate and assassinate Kira before she can fully rehabilitate and bring back the Crimson Dawn because there's this huge power vacuum in the underworld. There's these First Order guys looking to get back into it. Kira's got to go. That's, that's who our villain is in this film. 
Uh, so an older Kira. Our film starts, Master Codebreaker saves a woman. It happens to be Lily Cole's character. It is, uh, in fact, Lovey on a beach in Cessid, which is a, a Corver sector planet. It's a beautiful beach planet. Uh, and she, he actually stops her from committing suicide. You have no idea why she's trying to kill herself. That'll come out later. Um, and then some time passes in the film. He meets up with her again at a, a Guavian death gang casino on Cessid. Um, and there's something about her and Master Codebreaker kind of figures out that she's part synthetic and that she has like sort of these bizarre powers. So this woman, again, calling herself Lovey, uh, invites Master Codebreaker to her hotel room to say thanks. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't quite work out. When he arrives, he's attacked by an unidentified man. And after subduing the man, Codebreaker returns to his own room, finds Lovey there. She claims she doesn't know who the attacker was. Next morning, Master Codebreaker kidnapped by several men, including the one he thought uh, who turns out to be Balatik, who is the head of the Guavian death gang, the gentleman with that accent that Mike can do so well from a moment ago, right? Uh, so these guys, are, I <laughs> yeah. think the, the accent they use for them is some kind of like Northern English accent or yeah, that's okay, a, Irish I, maybe. I'm I think sure. that's Phineas or I know, I think it's the guy who plays the, uh, who does the voice for Ferb. <laughs> that's Phineas totally and Ferb. Right. Tell it to Kanja Club then. Yeah. So the, the guy that says that line is Balatik, right? Yeah. yeah. And Balatik tells him that Lovey is his sister and he's, she's got a troubled past. She disappeared for a long time. And he, she now poses a threat to the Guavian death gang. And he basically offers Master Codebreaker just a million credits just to like get rid of her because she goes into these spells where like she has these frenzies where she like kills people and she's insane. He, he can't get rid of her. So he tells her that he'll take care of her. But first, he needs to know where Kira's last known whereabouts were. And Balatik tells him Felucia, right? The, the, uh, the beautiful yeah. jungle planet. Okay. So Master Codebreaker, he goes back to Takodana, Maz Kanata's planet. Uh, Kira learns about what happened there because uh, there's going to be some huge incident where there's like a killing spree back where they were on, on Cessid. And she basically re relieves Master Codebreaker of the mission. She gets the location from him that's Felucia and says, you know what? I don't want you to assassinate Kira anymore. I'm putting somebody else on this job. So Master Codebreaker resigns. And he, in fact, resigns to Rose Tico, who I'm, re I'm redeeming in this movie by giving her the, the role as like Money Penny, basically. Yes. To Maz Kanata's M. But Rose alters his request for a leave, uh, or rather says, uh, changes his resignation into just taking a, a leave, right? So Master Codebreaker, true James Bond style, he goes rogue. He decides he's going to continue the assassination mission himself. Okay, so he goes over to Felucia. He finds this secret total underworld party for the Crimson Dawn. Kira is not there, but Lovey is, and they kind of rekindle this sort of whirlwind uh, romance. Kanja Club is there, <laughs> right? Uh, including Razu Kinfi, who's the new leader of Kanja Club, being I think their their last leader actually was killed in the opening scene from The Force Awakens or that first you know big scene on the ship. On the ship, um, we get a new character. I named her Madly Carva. Madly Carva is played by Carrie Coon, who is Justin Theroux's co-star on The Leftovers because they have wild fucking sexual on-screen tension that I think is just wild to watch. I just, I like watching when two people just clearly want to fuck each other's brains out and to put that energy into a Star Wars spy film just said, yes, it must happen. So uh, she's a bounty hunter and she has a similar purpose. We find out they're on the same mission. They both want to kill Kira and they're going to team up. So on Madly Carva's advice, Master, Co Master Codebreaker gets to go see Kira and he is posing as a, an agent of the Huts. A human agent named Arkin, because the Huts are looking to get back into the underworld game. They've been out of power too long. And Kira is very interested in talking to the Huts because Huts, Huts have a lot of weaponry stowed away that they've uh, not been trading in a long time. So this meeting with Kira takes place at where she's actually hiding, which is Chris. It is this is Cantonica. This is the planet that has Cantobite on it. So that big, beautiful casino city is the centerpiece of this film. It was built so well in The Last Jedi. And for once, I was just like, you know what? I want a film that is this planet. 
um, that it. is this city specifically. So I don't want to go over long with my pitch too late. One thing leads to another. Master Codebreaker stumbles across Kira's actual plot and why Lovey initially tried to kill herself in the beginning of the film. Kira has a new project that she's been gathering resources for. She calls them the Angels of Despair. Angels of Despair are all young women. They are all part synthetic. They are all dark side force users that use the uh, actual synthetic nature or partially synthetic nature of their body to amplify their power in the dark side. And her plan is to unleash the angels of despair on these um, sort of outcroppings of the resistance and kind of fortify something for the Crimson Dawn to have as their own. Obviously, really evil shit. Unfortunately, Master Codebreaker finds this out too late. He tries to seduce Kira to maybe kill her while they're sleeping together. There's kind of like a bait and switch moment, very common in a James Bond film where yeah. he thinks he's entering the bedroom of Kira. It ends up being Madly Carva and they make love and she actually kills Master Codebreaker. Put a pin in that because he's not dead, obviously. The movie shifts over to Lubby. You find out that Lubby this whole time has been one of the angels of despair. Okay. She goes into her killing sprees because she's basically the prototype. She was the first one of Kira's and Kira believes that she's come home and has delivered this assassin to her so that they can, you know, dispatch of him and, and kind of move on with things. Now he's called master Codebreaker, right? That'd be pretty fucking stupid if he didn't masterfully break a code. So he infiltrates the facility because as you find out, master Codebreaker is part synthetic as well. Okay. So this idea of people having synthetic parts or being part droid or whatever is a thing. So he basically, he rebuilds himself. He infiltrates the facility, he breaks the code, he gets into the Angels of Despair, you know, central nervous system, basically. And then you end with this huge fight sequence that takes place between Madly Carva and between Lovey fighting with Master Codebreaker against the Angels of Despair while he's trying to deprogram them. However, tragically, as all James Bond films must end tragically for the Bond girl in some way, when Master Codebreaker finally deactivates the Angels of Despair, he also deactivates his poor lovey and of course kira gets away because you never actually defeat blofeld in the film do you and that's that's basically my my film other little touches i would love to throw chewbacca in there at some point i would love to throw benicio del toro's dj character in there at some point i would love an extended uh gambling sequence that also features lando just kind of doing a little guest spot because there's there's no big game that's going to happen without lando present there even if he's old man lando Right. And I think that'd be interesting. You leave Kira alive because Kira is the inescapable underworld evil that always kind of evades you. She's not as dark as the Sith, but she's not a good guy. <laughs> she just, you know, kind of stays out there. And now you've introduced the idea that you have cyborgs uh, yeah. really moving front and center. They've always been there in Star Wars. But now you have Master Codebreaker, who is revealed as a cyborg in true Rick, Rick Deckard fashion. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you have your poor deceased lovey that he can pine for for any future films in the Smuggler's Guide series. And that is. The Smuggler's Guide, Master Codebreaker. Well done, man. Hey, very nice, man. Love that. I, uh, I passes. I like it for two reasons. One, there's a lot of sex in there, which a was, lot of sex, which which was absolutely lacking in the <laughs> horny horny Star Wars is good Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got it. I mean, it's all over the sexual tensions all over the original. We even weird incestuous sexual tension, but it's That's all right. there. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you need that, and it passes my uh, what I said earlier, which was genre play. You, you're yeah. making a spy movie in space. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, it's, it passes. It, it gets my stamp. That hell that yeah. Pitch. A keen I, listener I would have spotted the touchstones of the plot to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, including yes. lightly <laughs> changing the names Angels of Death to Angels of Despair, but. 
it, the point is that plot still works and you just hammer it into Star Wars shape and it really works well. Well, I love it because it's like it's one part Casino Royale. It's one point uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's one, yeah. point, one part Blade Runner. It's got all of those. A little those from things. Russia with love. Yeah, a little. There, you know. So it's like a little it's like a James Bond spy movie, but it's also got a little bit of noir in there, too. So I think it's a brilliant idea, dude. I, I love that. And you know how we feel about the, the grimy side of the Star Wars universe. It's uh, it's really magical. We love smugglers and bounty hunters. That's we what do. we love. We love we like them, guys. We, we love like them. We love scruffs, loves, scruffs yeah. and helmets. And yeah. maybe at some point uh, they can cross paths with uh, Chris's evil uh, bounty hunter killer. Who knows? Who yep. knows? Who knows? But uh, Jordan, that's a great idea, man. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I think that's what we got for this week. I don't, as I said, I really don't have a pitch, so I'm happy to sit back and listen to what you guys have to bring to the table. And I'm, uh, I think we're all better for your ideas that you had brought to uh, the podcast today. So I got to thank you both for being here. Chris, any last minute thoughts? Uh, yes. To Star Wars fans out there who are making life miserable on each other <laughs> and who are who are ruining <laughs> enjoyment of the saga for normal, well-adjusted people. Uh, and, and, and by those people, I mean the trolls, the people who are on Tatooine chat in the Old Republic MMO at two in the morning. I'm talking about the, uh, the, 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 the people who think that the prequels are good because you didn't care for the decisions made in the sequels or you have issues with a black stormtrooper or any of you people, please find a franchise in a galaxy far, far away. Find a different <laughs> one. Become a wrestling fan. They're a miserable lot. <laughs> Join, uh, you know, go, go, go play Magic the Gathering. Just get away from polite oh. society. No, we don't need them in the magic community. Oh, Mike and I play magic. No, no we're good. We're good. <laughs> get out of here. Just, 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 just get out of here. If you they, can't appreciate and move on, especially because Disney owns, listen, everybody, Disney owns it now. So we're going to get Star Wars shit for the rest of our fucking lives until we die. So you're going to always get a new Star Wars thing. So if you don't like something, just chill out, man. Take a suppository. Do a do a do a you know. Put some CBD in your in your in your Mountain Dew and and leave everybody alone. Okay. Thank you. That's all, Chris. Chris that's I have, a, I have wonderful. A, I have a final request for you, Chris, before we close out this this very very long episode of this podcast. Yeah. Um, as we established early on in this podcast, you have an impeccable <laughs> impersonation of Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. Can you please uh, give us one more Anakin when he tells us about what, what he did oh, yeah. to those sand people? I killed them. I killed them all. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're animals. And I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Oh, oh brilliant. Okay. Folks, Lovely. folks, you couldn't see the facial expressions, but there weren't any, and that was perfect. Yeah, it was really, he really honed in on giving us no expression whatsoever. Um, I should be, I should be better than this. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much. Um, oh, so, anytime, guys. Anytime. Sorry I make your episodes long, but I'll come anytime. More than okay. We love a long episode. So, do our, so does everyone out there listening. So once again, we have to thank the amazing immortal Jordan Hugh uh, for being the best co-host this side of Tatooine. Jordan, thank you so much once again. Yes. And Mike, you're a good, good droid boy. I try to be good. Good droid boy. <laughs> nice. And, and we also have to thank our amazing 
guest on today's episode, Chris D'Amato, Chris Death Star D'Amato. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for being here. Uh, before we oh, go, pleasure. anything you need to hit us up with in terms of where people should look for you on the internet? Oh, Chris, we have something we should promote. Oh, yeah. yeah yes, we do. Uh, so uh, Jordan and I are both, if you like Jordan and I talking, and you know, if you don't, why the fuck are you listening to this still? Uh, we have the Sopranos podcast on uh, iTunes, Apple, Instagram, uh, not Instagram. Well, yeah, we're all over. Well, technically we're on Instagram too. Yeah, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Spotify, Google, iTunes, anywhere you get podcasts or follow podcasts, we are there. It's The Sopranos Podcast. We're like the eighth podcast, and we're the first ones to have thought of the name The Sopranos Podcast, so you know we're smart. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's great. We're in there. We're, we're finishing. We're getting towards the end of season three. We break down three Italian-American storytellers. we got our good friend Paul Mancini. They, uh, if you like the Sopranos, you want to go through it. I recommend watching an episode, then listening to our podcast. It's a hell of a breakdown. We're quite popular. We're doing some great numbers. It's a hell of a podcast. It's been a great adventure. We all love doing it. The passion is there. And I think if you're a fan of the Sopranos, you really like it. I also got a web show satirizing Alex Jones coming out sometime in the next few months. Uh, it's called the information war. You can follow that, that we have pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, if you want to just follow me, I'm pretty inert on social media. I don't really post that much, but when I do, it's fucking gold. You're going to look for the Chris D'Amato on Twitter. Uh, the Chris, <laughs> the Chris That's where you find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, Chris, thank you so much, my friend. You're uh, amazing and a wonderful talent, an all around great guy. So be sure to follow him all over the internet where you can. Please listen to the Sopranos podcast. If you like Jordan and Chris, obviously we know you love them because they're on the show and you you all comment of how great uh, Chris is when he's on the show. And obviously Jordan is unbelievably good. Um, Definitely listen to that. Listen to that. And Paul Mancini is a terrific individual who we hope to have on this show. Yes, very, Paul, very Paul soon. will be with us very soon, I think, probably after the holidays. Paul yeah, will be on. Very soon. We're going to have Paul on. We're going to have we have we have a great idea to talk about him. Actually, he pitched the idea this to is, us. This is pitch going to be just resurrecting Stanley Kubrick. Probably. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but he'll, he'll be on like the claw from the claw machine. Like, Palpatine, yeah. <laughs> Ah, lovely. So that is three quarters of the way through Star Wars. We have one more episode left, which we're just calling Star Wars Out There and Beyond. There are ideas floating around that I've heard that are ridiculous. So, And they're all Muppets. Yes, of Muppets. All, most of them are Muppets. So thank you once again cool. for listening. Uh, for Chris D'Amato and Jordan Hugh, I'm Mike Staub. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next time. That's no moon. There you have it, everyone out there on the internet. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Just in time for Christmas, so we hope you have a wonderful holiday. And we have one more episode in this series, which will hit you between Christmas and New Year's, where we talk about everything beyond Star Wars out there in the reaches of space. But in the meantime, feel free to share, like, subscribe, give it to your friends for a holiday gift as a stocking stuffer. But follow us on Instagram at HowAboutThisPod and Facebook.com slash HowAboutThisPod. We'll catch you next time with a little bit more Star Wars action and yet another wonderful guest. Enjoy the holidays, everyone.